Hello and welcome to yet another episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. This is your host, Dan Hansen, and today we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones. We're going to start off talking about the books and the movies, and then I'm going to go into my favorite character, and then finally my least favorite character. Uh, so the books. I would highly recommend the first three books to anyone who loved the TV show. The first book does an amazing job at setting up the entire world, just, you know, setting up the houses and, and setting up uh, the story, just, you know, the, the build up to what will become this civil war in the, uh, in the seven kingdoms and the whole, I mean, there's going to be spoilers. I'm assuming you've seen the TV show. Um, the whole book is like this Ned Stark death march where it is like, no, Ned Stark, don't open that door. Don't go in there because he's, He's your stereotypical hero from these kind of fantasy stories. Like, he's Aragorn, right? Like, he's Mr. Noble, does everything right. And that is a huge liability in George Martin's Game of Thrones world. Like, he goes to the queen and tells her what he's going to do before he does it. Uh, you know, his daughter runs and, like, rats out his plan. Um, he's just completely out of his element in King's Landing. And so, and of course, the big the turn, the main, the main character actually dies, the king is dead, the bad guys have the throne, the main character's kids are now all, you know, thrown to the wolves, they kind of mangle uh, a pun. And then the second book just executes on that promise so well, where it's just this massive civil war, and if you like, you know, fantasy battles and politics and like that kind of stuff and intrigue. And the second book delivers on that. And then the third book, like as good as the first two books are, the third book is, it's just on an, another level. Like especially that second half of the third book, every chapter is something amazingly climactic from the TV show. In fact, they, you know, the first two seasons tracked the first two books really well, but that third book, so much stuff happens in that third book that they really seem to stretch it out over the course of like seasons three, four, and five. And there's good reason for that because as good as the first three books are, books four and five really aren't very good. Um... The show ignores just entire chapters, entire storylines, entire characters from the books four and five, and you will not miss them at all. Um, there's certain stuff that I, I really enjoyed, uh, of course. Um, there, it, there are chapters in books four and five that make you forget your reading books four and five. There are chapters in those books that are as good as what appears in the first three books. It's just the overall quality level just dips, becomes wildly inconsistent. You have entire chapters where nothing happens. You're bored out of your mind with characters you don't care about. Uh, there's entire chapters where nothing happens to the final couple pages, and then it becomes relevant why this chapter was even in the book. Um, so anyway, the consistency is really just not there. And... Just jumping outside that for a second, I think what it is, is the author, George Martin, uh, let me tell you something about him. So he was in TV in the 80s, and he was sick of the budgetary constraints. He was sick of being told, 
you know, like how many horses you could have in a scene. So he's like, fuck it. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to have a thousand horses in a scene. No one can stop me. Or I'm going to have a wall that's, you know, a mile high. Fucking, it's a book. No one can stop me. And so he started writing Game of Thrones in the early 90s. And the first book comes out in 96. And it's popular amongst nerds. Then the next book comes out in 98, which is a quick turnaround. These are, these are hefty books. The second one comes out in 98, and again, it's a hit amongst nerds. And then when the third one comes out in 2000, it's a New York Times bestseller, and now it's a hit. Now it's a hit hit, not just nerds, but like real people. And he's getting phone calls from Hollywood about turning this into a movie. And I think that's when the gears start to remember. This is a guy who has not had mainstream success up until this point. You know, he's won Hugo Awards and bullshit like that, but he's never had mainstream success. I think that's when he said, huh, I think I can milk this Game of Thrones thing. And you, that happens. We're unnecessary. Why are there a million Space Odyssey movies? Because 2001 was so popular. It, you know, why was there sequels to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I mean, for Christ's sake, because they were popular. So with Game of Thrones, I'm, I'm guessing he had an original storyline in place. And if you read those first three books, I think there's kind of like a logical way those books could have ended. I think it could have ended with someone you really don't like on the throne, such as a Cersei. And I think it could have had like this zombie apocalypse, zombies just storming through the wall and taking over King's Landing and humanity was divided and there was really nothing they could do about it. Or maybe it isn't like a super bad ending. Maybe that happens, but like the zombies are overrun. But anyway, my point is that in the way the story works, at least as far as the TV show goes, and I'll get to that in a second, is there's really no consequences for mankind standing idle and ignoring the zombie threat. Like the whole thing is them just like bickering about internal conflict. And they're ignoring the, the Night's Watch, talking about the zombies above the wall. And, like, there's no, there's no payoff for that. Like, there's no, there's no penalty for mankind's hubris. And so that always struck me as a change in direction. It seemed like he was setting up one point and went in completely different. Anyway, so I think uh, that's why the fourth book, one, it took him so much longer to write. It didn't come out until 2006. And then the fifth one didn't come out until 2011. And now book six and seven are just never coming out, as far as I can tell. But I think it's taken him so much longer to write these next books because he didn't know where he was going. I think he you know, kind of built the plan up in the early 90s, and then it was a matter of executing and publishing the books. Then I, then I think he took a sharp left turn. And now I think that's why the books four and five were meandering and had a lot of shitty parts. Um, that's my that's my speculation. And as far as the book six and seven, I think they're never coming out. We're about to get to the TV show, but the TV show ruined the producers' careers. I forget their names, but like the fans hated the TV show, so it ruined those guys' careers. So George Martin is sitting there going, like, I don't want you nerds coming for my career too. I'm just never going to release those fucking books because I'm pretty sure what happened in the TV show is pretty much what was going to happen in the books. Like I, I think. You know, Martin worked with the producers of the TV show and gave them the notes. Like, these are the major beats. This is how, you know, the major plot twists and everything. And the fans hated all that shit. So Martin just has no incentive. And plus, he always wanted to do TV. Uh, now he's allowed to do TV. Um, you know, I, I think if he wanted to write the books, I think he's had plenty of time. It's been 10 years since the last book. I don't think time is the issue. You know, 10 years is, you know, Stephen King writes two books a year. I'm pretty sure George Martin could figure out how to write two books in 10 years. 
anyway, uh, so about the TV show. Um, yeah, I like it. I think, I think, let's see. I don't think it's better than the books up into a point. I think it's more consistent. I think the TV show gets better and better, whereas the books, like I said, drop off. Um, I like how they ignore books four and five and just focus on what, what really matters. And then people complain about the last season. And if you don't like the last season, that's fine. Um, I just, I feel like the complaints leveled against season eight are unfair. So one of the complaints about season eight is that it was rushed. Okay, well, that's unfair because it took them two years to do season eight. Normally a season takes one year. They took two to do season eight. So by definition, it can't be rushed. You can think it sucks, but like by definition, they took twice as long. So it's, it's not rushed. Then they said the last season uh, was shorter than the other seasons. Well, again, this is unfair. So a typical Game of Thrones season was 10 episodes. Then they split the last season into season seven and eight. I mean, there's only supposed to be seven books, but there's eight seasons. That's because seasons seven and eight are like one season, but they split them off. So instead of being one season of 10 episodes, I think season seven is like six, and I think season eight is like seven episodes, I want to say. So it's 13 episodes total. So the argument that like it was rushed, no, I mean, season seven and eight took three years in total to make. So that's three times longer than regular season. And there were 13 episodes instead of 10. So again, the argument that it was rushed, uh, you know, doesn't make any sense to me. Um, which isn't to say there aren't issues in those seasons. I mean, I think the whole the whole zombie thing doesn't pay off. The battle at uh, Winterfell, um, yeah, super anticlimactic. Um, I don't know necessarily know if that's the TV show's fault. I think it's just relating to the issues I said earlier, where I think the story just took a big left turn, and the zombies were basically written off the show but they had to have some kind of climax there because, you know, there was such a large part of it for so long and they, they really just didn't get the payoff it deserved. Um, I want to get into my favorite character and this surprises people. At least it did. Now, I guess he's more generally accepted as a good guy. Um, but I, I've always liked him and that's Jamie Lannister. And this may sound funny because the first time you see him, he is killing someone. He is killing a small innocent child after having sex with his sister. And, you know, that seems like a bad guy. But um, as you learn about the character, you realize he did it because he had to save his family. Like, if anyone found out that who his children, you know, who the king's children really were, you know, spoiler alert, obviously, uh, they'd be killed. And there was plenty of evidence that King Robert would kill children that he thought was a threat to his throne. It happened to the Targaryens. He sent out um, killers, assassins after Daenerys. Uh, so, and even in the book, Ned Stark even kind of stops to think, like, would he do it? After he finds out what Jamie Lannister did, he thinks, like, would he have done anything different in Jamie's position? And I love the stuff about how everyone hates Jamie, like the Kingslayer, but, like, he knows the truth. He knows what really happened that day when King's Landing was being sacked. And he knows how the Mad King was screaming, burn them all, burn them all, and wanted to use... Uh, that pyromancer's fire, that dragon's fire, on all of King's Landing just to kill thousands, if not millions of people. And Jamie Lannister saved the day, but he was seen as a traitor. And just his personality, 
just really wouldn't allow him to stoop to defending himself in the public image because he prides himself on not caring what people think. But of course he does. And I don't know. It's just a really interesting character. And then um, I think it was played better in the show because I don't even... Yeah, I think this part was better developed in the show where his relationship with uh, Lady Atarth, where she starts off just hating him and then they become, you know, he proves that he's a good guy and like they rub off on each other. Um, and I thought that was really the most dynamic and interesting character in the book. His relationship with Siri, um, that really disappointed people at the end of the show where he comes back and to be with Siri. And they thought that like that ruined his arc. And like, no, like he always was in love with Siri in the, in the show. And in, in the book, it's a little bit different. Um, I think it kind of falls out with her. It's never, it's not, it ends after book five, so it's not really developed where that's going to go, but it's more planted. It's more set up that he might, you know, cut it off with her. But in the show, it never is. Like when he's storming, what is that town? River Run, maybe? When he's confronting Blackfish outside of a gate on a drawbridge, he tells Blackfish that he's like, if I had to kill every single man, woman, and child in this castle to get me back to Siri a day sooner, I would do it. And like that, this is a guy that loves Siri, um, and and again, that's why the character is so interesting. Is because he has these conflicting values. Where he is a noble knight, he is a man of honor, but he had to throw off his loyalty and uh, fealty to the throne to do the right thing. And then he's loyal and he loves his family, but sometimes he has to disregard them to do the right thing. And sometimes he disregards the right thing because of his loyalty to his family. So I love characters with strong, conflicting motivations. Like John Smith on uh, Man in the High Castle is like that. He's this American officer who becomes a Nazi when the Nazis take over America to protect his family. And now he's this high-ranking SS officer in America. But then when his kid is diagnosed with, I don't know, some disease, uh, the Nazis tell him he has to kill his son. And so now, okay, which master does he obey? His loyalty to his family or to the Nazi party? And, of course, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil how that one plays out. But, you know, that's my favorite character on that show. And so, anyway, Jamie Lannister, I think he had the mo uh, most going on. And the, the actor, I, I don't know his name. He has some ridiculous Swedish name. But just an amazing job. Really brings that character to life. Um, let's, let's move on to my least favorite character. And that's Daenerys. Oh, my God. I remember watching the show just being like, I don't like to use the B word, so I'm not going to use the B word. But I remember just thinking, like, this lady is never going to pay off. Like, this is just... And it's even worse in the book. Like, I'll read until I hit a Daenerys chapter. And I'll be like, oh, fuck. Let's just put the book down. Um, I always saw her as a Mary Sue, just like this author's power fantasy. Um, the other characters, they get by on their guile and their wits and their competency. Daenerys gets by because she's like the one magical character. You know, she has dragons and that's really it. And like, she's just crazy. And the entire time... I was trying to tell people she was crazy and no one believed me. And she kept doing crazy things. Like she burns that witch at the stake. And it's like, I'm going to go through this. This is like the first crazy thing she does. 
And so she's in love with Genghis Khan. People really don't know who Genghis Khan is. He was Hitler before Hitler. I mean, we kind of romanticize Genghis Khan because history sanitizes little details like genocide. But Genghis Khan, not a great guy. So she's in love with Game of Thrones' version of Genghis Khan, and then she's going to have a son who's going to take over the world. These are not normal aspirations for a mother to have. Uh, And so then her husband gets wounded in battle, and no one can save him. And she's like, to the witch, like, will you save him? And she's like, okay. The witch is like, fine. I'm going to bring him into this tent. I'm going to sacrifice a horse. But don't enter this tent. Like, this is some fucked up black magic shit I'm doing in this tent to save your husband. Do not enter it. Okay? Everyone hears this. And so then Daenerys, I don't know, she goes into, like, labor pain. She's having woman problems, whatever. And so her men start dragging her into the tent. And you can see demons, like, through the fucking tent, like, being backlit by the fire. And she's being dragged into there after the witch just told her not to do that. And so then, of course, negative things happen. Like, her baby is, like, this terrible black stillborn, like, mutant or whatever. And so she blames the witch. And it's like, why not blame your men who clearly ignored the orders of a witch? Like, here's the thing I've learned. There are certain people, when they say a rule, you should listen to them. If a drug addict has a rule that he follows, you know he isn't just like a librarian where he just like makes up rules out of some sort of power trip. If a drug addict has a rule about how he uses drugs, you should probably listen to that rule. If a witch has a rule about how she does her black magic... You know she isn't like Mrs. Conformity over here who just likes to make rules up. Like, you probably listen to her rule as far as entering the tent when demons are involved. So anyway, she blames the witch and she burns the witch at the stake. And it's like, I really feel like that witch was not a bad person. Like, that witch, like, she had been raped. Her town had been raped and pillaged by Genghis Khan. And, like, you're the one that let her work on Genghis Khan. Like, it's really not her fault if she takes revenge on Genghis Khan at that point. And as far as her baby, like, that wasn't her fault. I mean, that was her men bringing her into the tent. So I think I made my point as far as that goes. Um, but people are like, you know, in real life, are naming their kids after Daenerys because she's this strong woman character. Um, she really wasn't. I mean, and then you see over the course of the, the show, like, she burns POWs alive for not bending the knee. And so finally, in the last uh, season, when she goes crazy, it's like, there was so many hints to that all along the way. Like, the Mad King, like, how he wanted to burn them all. And she's the descendant of the Mad King. And how uh, the blind guy at the wall is a Targaryen. I forget his name. Uh, but he said, uh, they say that every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. Sometimes he's going to be noble, like Prince Rhaegar, or like that Meister at the Wall, or sometimes he's going to be fucking crazy, like the Mad King. And with Daenerys, all signs pointed to her being fucking crazy and being on a fucking power trip. Like, she won the takeover of the world. Again, these are not normal aspirations. Good characters don't burn people alive who don't swear loyalty to them. So, anyway... Um, yeah, so I really love that, that plot twist. Like, everyone else hated that. They didn't think it fit the character. I thought it did. I thought it fit the character perfectly. I thought it was being set up all along that she was completely insane. So, anyway, I thought that was cool. I know, as far as the ending of the show, like, people didn't like how the, like, the really weird kid, like, the autistic kid in a wheelchair was put on the throne. If you let a council pick who the king is going to be, that's who they're going to pick. Like, they're not going to pick, like, this really, like, strong-willed... They couldn't pick the midget because uh, he was hated. Uh, They couldn't pick Jon Snow because he was hated. The Unsullied would rise up and everything. So, 
you know, they pick um, this this fucking kid who's going to be tripping on acid, you know, looking for a dragon with his eyes, you know, rolled up into his head. Like, yeah, that's who they would pick. So the council would be in power. I think people kind of miss that. Um, so anyway, that's it. My computer just went to sleep. That's probably a sign that this is going too long. So, all right, have a great day. And this has been Dan Hansen with How Not to Suck at the Stocks. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, quick addendum. I said I thought the show got better and better. I think that's wrong. That's not what I meant. Uh, I think you can definitely see a clear drop-off in quality after season five, after they leave the sanctity of the books. It definitely became more Hollywood um, and less Martin at that point. But that's a small point. I figured I'd add it. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye.